Welcome everybody to the Governance Evaluator webinar series. Today we're going to talk about the importance of evaluation, how to use board evaluation to assure board excellence. We want to welcome people from all over Australia today. We have organisations from all across Australia, from health, independent schools, aged care, community and many other kinds of organisations. Predominantly today, we're going to be talking about aged care, but all things apply to all organisations. We are really proud to put our webinar on in collaboration with LASER. We're very proud to be now collaborating with LASER, in particular with Brendan. We're going to be providing evaluation programs to all of the aged care boards through this collaboration for whole board evaluation and for director evaluation as well. And of course, Brendan Moore will be providing our expert convening roles for those very important programs. I'd very much like to welcome Brendan today. Brendan is the General Manager for the Member Services with Leading Age Services Australia and has significant experience in aged care across government and importantly, risk governance. Brendan's had significant experience lately, particularly delivering his education programs and doing that in partnership with the Governance Institute, which has been tremendous for aged care. So a big welcome to you, Brendan. And I'd like to start our discussion today by asking you to talk to us about what is actually happening in aged care at the moment that makes evaluation important. Thanks, Fee. Thank you very much for the invitation to present with you today about such an important topic. In terms of what's happening in aged care at the moment, I think I need to begin with a, a little bit of a caveat to say that some of the things that I'll be saying and talking about, the experience of those forces and macro changes that are going on uh, within the industry are certainly not being felt uniformly uh, across the industry. And so therefore, the comments that I might make are not always generalizable to everyone. So just a, a modest caveat to begin with, if I can be so bold. And then in terms of what is actually happening, I think we can't ignore one bullet point that's not on that, which is that there is a crisis that um, is testing board's performance, their capability, their risk appetite, and a whole manner of other things that due to COVID-19. That is a real focus for boards at the moment, uh, particularly from a business continuity perspective. And so that's where they're really being tested. In terms of what has been happening, shall we say, in the more longer term changes, we've obviously got uh, the Royal Commission that's having a focus on uh, governance within its hearings. And there's certainly been some interesting hearings for those who are interested and love talking about governance. We've certainly enjoyed those hearings and reading the transcripts of those particular sessions. And then you've also got ASX governance principles changing to focus more on the annual review of boards and directors. We have a different regulator. We've moved from the quality agency to the Australian uh, Aged Care Quality and Safety Commissioner that has also come in with a new set of standards with a um, standard eight of eight standards uh, that is solely focused on governance. And what the uh, regulator is focusing more on as well is looking at the processes of how organisations are being uh, governed. Are they driving and monitoring improvements? 
But what we're seeing is that they're not being prescriptive in the approach that organisations should be taking or necessarily the implementation in terms of what it means to be well run. Uh, but in saying that, what we are very much detecting is in the non-compliance or directions or notices or sanctions, which are the regulatory actions that the regulator can take. Standard eight is appearing, if you like, as the second most frequent standard that is being found fault with within the industry. So it, it is very much a focal area for our regulator in the, our industry in aged care. And then lastly, a, a really important point is that the importance of culture uh, in organisations to have self-reflection and a focus on performance, uh, because what you do at the board level echoes across the whole organisation. Uh, so it's really important for boards to have that process of evaluation and a willingness to pursue it openly and transparency, which shows a preparedness to be vulnerable to feedback and vulnerability is a key uh, feature of good leadership. And that sets the tone for the rest of the organisation. Uh, that expression tone from the top is one that is used very often, including by the Governance Institute of Australia. And a really important point to say is that no one is above assessment uh, of their performance. And it's not something that should be feared, it should be embraced. And it should be part of driving that mindset of continuous improvement within an organisation, doing things as they should be done, and lastly, being accountable for that. So I noticed you've got a slide here. Yes, talk yeah. to us about that. Yeah, so this features in the uh, workshop that I uh, deliver. Thank you very much for referencing that before. So Governance in Aged Care is a workshop I've been delivering now uh, throughout last year across the country, just about to move to a format like uh, this uh, for <laughs> delivery in the times that we're living in. And this is a really important framework that the Governance Institute of Australia has included in that content. And I mentioned that tone from the top, and that is a, a key feature, a key role for boards. Boards drive culture. And without that tone from the top, the rest of the framework largely becomes a, a case of spinning wheels, if you like. It, it doesn't happen without that tone from the top that's set by the board. And that's really important from the evaluation perspective as well. Once you start threading that into the other boxes, I mentioned the word accountability. So there's a real emphasis there on accountability through the evaluation. Uh, it's an important feature of governance and control to be assessing your performance uh, in terms of how well you are governed and the control settings within the organisation. It will then influence the recruitment, training and rewards, and we'll discuss that in more detail a bit later. Uh, but it's also that very... Um, sort of dark box, blue box there, effective communication and challenge. It is a really important uh, point there that by exposing yourself to being evaluated as directors, you're exposing yourself to challenge and that links back to that tone from the top point. So it's, it's a nice framework that I spend a bit of time on in the workshop, but it certainly applies when we're talking about evaluation as we are today. Terrific. So, Brendan, um, I guess the, the piece that I can contribute is endlessly asked, what actually is board evaluation? And I suppose in answering that question, it's really important to put it into some sort of context. And let's face it, governance is complex and there is a framework. And being assured about your governance risks, I guess, is what we're all about. And there's three types of risks, really, that we need to think about that relate to governance at the board level. 
I'm not talking about those organisational risks that need to come up. I'm talking about what are the risks at the board and they are corporate governance risks, all the systems and processes and those sorts of things. They're the sector governance risks. You know, what are our responsibilities around clinical governance and what have you? And there is the director skills and experience and behaviours and that is regarded as a governance risk as well. So what I want to say to everybody, what evaluation is, it's just a way that you can know where do you sit with those governance risks. And a good evaluation actually helps you measure yourself within the framework that matches the sector you're in. It gives the directors the chance to see how do we stack up against that framework. It gives you the chance to see how do we know what we've got to do. And incredibly importantly, as you just said before, it enables you to lead the culture of continuous review and development from the top. So back to you, Brendan, why is evaluating so important? Well, I'll start with um, referencing the standards again and uh, the way that the standards have been constructed and they're being assessed as well from what we're seeing from the uh, assessors from the commission is that it is all related and the evaluation of the governing body, the impact that that will have therefore extends out across all the standards, including standard eight, but the other seven as well. And so there's a, a tremendous, if you like, benefit from uh, performance improvement at the governance level that will echo across the other standards. Uh, so it really, again, I'll say, sets the tone by doing so. And also you've got that important focus on continuous review and development. And our CEO often says uh, a comment about if the world's changing around you faster than you're changing, then you're going backwards. Uh, so you need to be in that mindset of continuous review and development. And that needs to happen within that integrated model of whole of organisation governance and some of the elements that you just discussed around your corporate governance plan, your strategic plan, business plan, your risk settings, your succession planning and those kind of things. So it needs to be integrated within that. Then you've also got the opportunity for discussion and focus about what matters. I think in terms of a lot of the interactions I've had with boards, and I would suggest it's probably not endemic to aged care, it um, cuts across all uh, industries as well, is that too often boards can get involved in matters that they shouldn't be. And one of the expressions that is often used is that directors should have their noses in, but their fingers out. And I think often they they do it from the best of intentions uh, to get involved in things that they think they can help with, but it's actually not what they should be doing and it's not about what matters from a governance perspective. So it will give a discipline and a rigour to direct and shape what the focus of the um, board and its individual directors should be. And then you're building the team insights into the issues and the problem solving of those particular issues and problems that confront that particular board at that particular time. So you're in a much more informed position to be able to address those particular matters because you've evaluated and you've understood the circumstances which confront you at that particular time. You then also got, it's part of a constant learning process. And I think we've all been watching a lot of webinars in this COVID-19 time and being open-minded is one of the traits that will actually see you through and having a positive mindset and a view that things will get better. So it's also really important from that perspective, you will be more successful if you're in that constant learning process. And it's also important uh, in that learning process, you're gradually understanding each other as directors and where other directors are coming from 
and then being in a position to make the right decisions as a consequence of the information that becomes available to you through the evaluation. The next point is around trends and benchmarking. And I think one of the things that the aged care industry has been doing very well is benchmarking itself against each other. Certainly from a financial perspective, there's a renowned financial benchmarking that's done by an accounting firm, Stuart Brown, and that is widely cited within the industry. But I think there is certainly scope for further benchmarking to be done in other areas and governance, because of its great impact, I think there is an opportunity there to look at the external benchmarking of governance performance within uh, the industry. One of my particular bugbears and peccadilloes around benchmarking is that there isn't enough internal benchmarking done. So people are very much looking across the fence, if you like, keeping an eye on the Joneses and seeing what everyone else is doing and comparing themselves to each other. But they're not necessarily setting internal benchmarks for what they want to be and setting a direction to determine their own fate. So I think that's an important uh, element that boards should also be considering when they're setting out on any sort of evaluation or benchmarking exercise. Then the next point is around the important information for chairs to lead and understand their board. I had a, a number of interactions with chairs over the years of aged care organisations, and I don't envy them, it must be said. It's a difficult role to be a chair. It's a difficult role to be a chair of an aged care organisation at the moment with such fluidity and flux within the industry and being able to exercise good governance practices and decision making at the moment is quite a challenge. So. Anything that can be done in that regard to add further clarity and light to the chair to help them perform their role has got to be a positive in this particular environment. The second last point there around public confidence and trust, uh, it would be remiss of me to not uh, say that in the last two, three years, uh, the aged care industry has certainly suffered a few hits to those particular elements of public confidence and trust. Pleasingly, in the crisis we're in, I think some of that confidence and trust has been restored. And I think the industry has risen to the challenge of the crisis that we're in at the moment. But one of the expressions that Laser often uses is your social license to operate. And so having really solid governance practices underpins your social license to operate. It gives further institutional lender or shareholder confidence if you're in the financing game. And then also your customer confidence. And I'll link back to Standard 8 again. One of the um, really important elements of Standard 8 is the outcome statement that you are out to achieve. And your customer says that this organisation is well run. So there's a public confidence, but there's a customer trust as well. And then the final point there is that evidence indicates it's a key process to achieving high levels of performance. So on the next slide, we've got a little framework of the elements to achieve high levels of board performance. And so you can see at the top there, we've got board composition. And I know boards spend a lot of time focusing on composition. And that's important. Uh, that's an input level exercise. So you're looking for the independence, the diligence, the competence and the ethics, the people that are on your board. That's an important step you need to go through. And then you sit through that board systems and structure next level down in your processes area, and you can see the board structure, you're looking at having productive meetings, you have a succession planning system, you have your finance reporting and your risk management, you have strategic information systems, and there right at the end of that process list, we have performance evaluation. So it's a really key part of your processes that underpin high levels of board performance. And I would suggest that uh, one that perhaps has not had the focus that it should have 
whereas all the others certainly have had a good focus on them. That's fantastic. And, and I would agree with you. We probably haven't had as much of a focus on this as we, we probably should. So I think that what's really important is what are the key areas that an evaluation can focus on? And I can remember when we originally all started doing evaluation many years ago, you used to be judged on your merit by the size of the evaluation. And I can remember, Brendan, you know, rolling in these things with three or 400 questions and people would usually rather die than actually finish them. It was quite exhausting. But now I'm really pleased to say we're in a different era and things have improved out of sight and they are much more focused, much more valuable things that we use for evaluation now. And I, I think the things that evaluation focus on now, very important, they focus on corporate governance which is, as you've been saying, strategy, risk, all those sorts of things. But incredibly importantly, at our peril, do we not include sector-specific governance questions as well? In other words, in aged care, in health, it's all around clinical governance. Those special things that happen in your sector that matter at the boardroom table as well. We need to have a healthy review of our systems and processes right through the board committees. How do our papers look when they come up? What are the systems that we have for actually monitoring at a board level? We also really must include culture and people's behaviours. Uh, we've all seen all too often in all the most recent Royal Commissions and Prudential inquiries, particularly those into the bank, that at the end of the day, they had rooms full of policies and procedures, but it was about people's behaviour. And last but not least, a really important inclusion that I think you and I are very happy about, Brendan, is it's the individual director as well. They need to have a process that's just specially to help them. So what do you think we actually can get out of evaluation um, if it's done well? What, what are some of the good things that happen in the board? Well, firstly, I'd just again start with a reminder for participants and those who are on the line that are not from the aged care industry. Mm. The context for most aged care governing bodies is that they are community-based organisations, not-for-profits, or family-run private businesses. And so in both those cases, it can be quite hard to have open and honest conversations about assessing performance when one of your fellow directors could be your father, your mum, <laughs> son, your daughter, an old school friend that you've known for 50, 60, 70 years. <laughs> and it could be the solicitor in town that handles your personal matters. So you don't want to say too much to them. So look, human nature is such that we'll find it hard to have those kind of difficult conversations without some sort of supporting evidence that is, if you like, independently derived and provided. And, you know, the straw man analogy of, or the Trojan horse kind of thing. So I, I think it's, it's important that that context is acknowledged in the way in which the evaluation can occur is that it can make that task a lot more easier. And as we said earlier, it should not be feared. It should be embraced. And by doing this in an independent manner, you can overcome a lot of those nervousness uh, around having those conversations. The next point is around do we know what we don't know? And I think what we have seen in those Royal Commission hearings is that sadly some directors and chairs of boards uh, have been exposed by the Council for the Royal Commission in their line of questioning. 
that there was a lot that they didn't know that they should have known. There was a lot that they should have asked more questions about and hindsight is a perfect science. And I think they would reflect on those experiences and say that it was very uncomfortable, but we are now in a much better position. We've been strengthened by the blowtorch of the Royal Commission and we've got much better governance systems in place now because we now know what we should have been doing all along. So this can be another way to fast track that without the harsh glare of a Royal Commission and the league <laughs> grilling you. And then the next one is, are we on the money for how we are going or are we not discerning enough? And I think that links a bit to the points I was just making as well around the, the harsh spotlight. And without that independent perspective, you might fall guilty to believing your own press, as the saying goes, and believing that you may be a little bit better than you actually could be. And then finding that there actually are some things that you could be doing to improve the board performance. And it's not necessarily a bad thing that you do have that, if you like, learning and discovery. Then you've got um, the feedback on performance to uh, the governance and sector frameworks. And so I think there's, again, that point we were making before, it's around that coherence and that uh, consistency in applying this to what you are trying to achieve more broadly in your governance, your strategy, your risk management, and your workforce delivery and your client outcomes, because that's why you are in aged care. And then where we are functioning well and perhaps where we are not, I think, again, it comes back to shining a light on areas that may be a blind spot. But really, one of the points I stress often in the training that when I'm delivering it and when I'm working with boards individually, it's around adding value. As a board, are you adding value to that organisation? Is there a sense of drive coming from the boardroom? Are you pushing that organisation forward? Are you driving it to achieving its purpose? And that's, are you functioning well and not? It may help you find areas that you are not giving it that value-adding perspective and drive. And again, we've talked about the culture. What's the culture like? So what is the culture like within the boardroom? I mean, I've had the pleasure of working with a number of organisations where you could see such high levels of trust and coherence and healthy levels of challenge and a real respect for each other uh, at that boardroom. And that then permeates and cascades to the management that's sitting there with them. And that's pleasing to see. That's when you can see that the culture is in the right place. And then lastly, a good plan with right resources. Again, the famous Jack Welsh talks about culture eats strategy for breakfast. So linking from culture into a good plan. Well, also, if you don't have a good plan, or you can have a good plan, but unless you put the right resources in place, it ain't going to happen. So you've got to have that consistency right. You've got to have a good culture. You've got to back it with a good plan. And then you've got to apply the right resources to it. And so I think an evaluation will guide you in where those resources should be applied. So how do you think that that flows on to improving performance, Brendan? And as you say, not just in aged care, across all boards. So that's so what we're after, yeah. Yeah, so you're starting out from that perspective of culture. Again, we, we begin with culture. You're setting that culture of teamwork, the collaboration. And uh, the points I was mentioning before, you're looking at a positive, critical attitude, that testing of ideas and effective challenge, and also group and personal accountability for the decisions that were reached at that um, board level. And so that's really important also in terms of achieving the purpose of the company. And I'll come back to that point, purpose, purpose. And then we've also talked about bringing discussions about the issues that matter to the fore uh, rather than avoiding them or rather than also getting sucked into issues that are not that important and should not be a focus. And so that also can help chairs particularly create a team approach around 
uh, the discipline around solving those particular uh, issues that matter. Then you bring that perspective um, to bear on particular issues. You're limiting the tunneling, which is where you go down the rabbit hole of focusing on things and neglect potentially other areas. It's really important to have a broad perspective at the board table rather than just focusing on one narrow issue at a particular time. So, you know, an example of that is whilst we are in a crisis at the moment and boards absolutely should be focusing on business continuity, they should not be neglecting the, the strategy, the longer term perspective for that particular organisation. And we've talked a little bit about the individual directors. So the benefit of them is that they will get individual feedback as well as that collective feedback about the whole board. And so that's important in terms of meeting the roles and responsibilities for the individuals, but also them as a collective. It can help, shall we say, in a safe manner, bring out some areas for development for individual directors, and that can go into their action plans for the board or their director. And once you've got information, then you're in a much better position to be making decisions. And part of that is choosing the right education. And so we mentioned, obviously, the governance in aged care workshops that Laser runs that I'm delivering, and they're available right now. There's a series of those coming up in June and July that people can register for right now. And then we've also got some certificate in governance courses that will be released in August, and that's being done in collaboration with the Governance Institute of Australia. So there's a great, if you like, healthy connection between making an evidence-based decision there. Okay, that, that's good. So I guess one of the things that people are interested in is what are the options in terms of how you can approach evaluation? A lot of people say to us, what about the developmental stage of our board? And I think actually it doesn't really matter what the development stage of your board is. Evaluation supports you and helps you if you're feeling like we haven't got things in place or if you're feeling like we really have got things together. It, it doesn't matter what your evolutionary stage is. The other thing that's really important about evaluation is it needs to raise awareness. The questions need to be ones that go, ah, okay, they help you understand what we should be doing. In other words, if they've got the right questions within the framework, it helps to lead you as a board to understand what you should be doing. They should cover both corporate and your sector governance information. The other thing that's really important is that results should be approached meaningfully. They are really something that come to life after you've actually had a discussion about them. I think one of the things, Brendan, that we all know is that evaluation can be a little bit subjective. And as you said earlier, you can end up thinking you're a little bit better than you are. But one really important thing to help combat that is to actually have a discussion about the results. And you can often get that thing called the watermelon effect. And that is that everyone's put a green for that. But once you have a discussion about it, it's a bit like watermelon. You've scratched the surface and it's red underneath. And that's what you need to do. That's a good option with evaluation. There needs to be actions from the evaluation. You can't just put it away. You've actually got to decide on just a few things, not too many, and do something about them and keep those going. And importantly, evaluation should lead you to the kind of education that you need. And last but not least, nowadays, I'm with you 100%, Brendan. We need data around the board. In fact, I'm a passionate believer that good governance can be data-driven. And that is that we wanna see how do we track as a board year in, year out? How do we look compared to others? And importantly, 
talk about that, actually use that as part of your decision making. So I guess another thing that I wanted to talk about, Brendan, is we have mentioned that there is quite a new focus on not just the whole board being evaluated, but individual directors as well. And a lot of directors ask us, what does an individual director evaluation entail? And I, I think it's really important to say that we've done skills matrix a lot over the years, and I don't think we've actually done them really well. We've had a lot of skills matrix that were yes, no answers. Are you a lawyer? Yes or no. We, we're not being very sophisticated with them. But the one thing we have learnt more recently is that when we do evaluation processes with directors, they should be engaging, uplifting and again, help identify areas where we're doing really well and help identify areas where we could improve. And we believe that director evaluation should not only ask you about your professional skills, but they should ask you about your sector relevant skills, your understanding of culture, your understanding of your contribution to the board, and importantly, what is the development things that you'd like to do? And we passionately believe that there should be plans that relate to the outcomes of these surveys. And very importantly, we now know from trials we've just done that it's a really good thing to wrap a director's induction plan around the results of their director skills matrix as well, and then bring them into the organisation with a lot more knowledge and a much better plan. So back to you, Brendan, does evaluating then, in your view, with all of your governance experience, actually help a director to contribute to better board performance? Well, building what you just said, Fee, I think uh, a really simple way of articulating it is if you know something, you can do something about it. That's a really simple point. But within aged care and uh, certainly more broadly across all industries, the first point there is attraction of directors is a real challenge. That's been expressed to me and many staff within LASER a number of times. There are some talented, capable people out there that are looking for director spots. So if you are a director or a senior executive on this webinar at the moment and you are looking for talent, reach out to us because we are aware of some people that are willing to be on boards at the moment. But I, I think in terms of where there is a challenge in regional areas, particularly it's been expressed, I think now boards are also starting to work out, well, they don't actually necessarily have to meet in person. So that's possibly a positive to come out of this crisis that we're living in, is that people are learning to operate in the manner in which we're communicating now, and they can actually run board meetings this way. And I know the Governance Institute of Australia has provided some guidance on how to run board meetings not physically present with each other. So the important point there is that if you can't get your own, you have to grow your own, quite frankly. And so where we've seen boards with limited turnover and there can be a variety of reasons for that sometimes it's a family-run company and so there is a structural impediment to turnover in other cases there's not been a real availability of directors and so I've seen stories of organizations with three directors with a combined service of over 100 years and so there are obviously some healthy levels of turnover and there's a need to develop skills in those directors, even if they've got 33 years average service between them. So that's a really important being able to address that skills development when you can't renew for a variety of reasons. 
So in terms of director development, one of the often expressed needs that I hear from directors when I talk with them is that they need to know more about aged care in order to perform effectively as a director within aged care organisations. So it's been really pleasing over the last couple of years to see more directors attending our national conferences and our state conferences. And hopefully they're also participating in a large number of webinars that are now being delivered as well to support them in terms of improving their knowledge around aged care. In terms of the next point, you're obviously going to have confident, engaged and inducted directors if they are supported from the outset and they know where they need to invest their energies and pursue further development. And that connects into your highlighting areas for boards and directors to build their capabilities in. And certainly, as I was mentioning before, one of those has been knowledge of aged care. There's certainly been a focus on accountants and lawyers. And so we've you know, got that finance and the legal side generally covered, but there's a lot of other areas that organisations are now starting to realise we actually need to build capabilities in other particular areas within our uh, directors. And third last point there is highlight responsibilities for individual directors. And so it's really important that directors know what they are responsible for and what they are accountable for. And so again, the courses that I'm running on governance in aged care and that the Governance Institute runs are, are really important in terms of articulating what directors need to know and do and what they're responsible for most importantly. And then that second last point, the cohesive board. I say it quite often when I talk to people that when you have worked in a number of organisations, generally you will have found good governance, mediocre governance and terrible governance sometimes uh, if you're <laughs> quite unfortunate. So you generally, you've got a sense of when things are going well in an organisation, it is because there is a cohesive board. There is a really strong but respectful and effective communication and challenge going on between the directors and the management of the organisation. But that is a really important element to have is a cohesive board. Without that trust and belief and respect in each other, then that kind of won't happen is what the research indicates. And then the last point is the setting the culture for the organisation. So I began in my opening comments talking about no one is above scrutiny and accountability. And so by the board demonstrating that they are open to scrutiny and performance assessment, then they're also sending a message to every other staff member in that organisation that we are a performing and learning and continuous improving organisation. So it's important from a number of different perspectives there. Well, I think I agree with you wholeheartedly, Brendan. And I guess just finally, before we go to questions, because I can see we've got a few questions there, uh, a lot of people have asked us, what does a structured approach to board evaluation look like? In other words, what's our recommendation? And I guess our recommendation is that there's a magic number and it's three years. What we've learned and what we know after many, many years of doing this is that this stuff doesn't just happen overnight that a culture of ongoing evaluation is something that we all need to, to work on and be prepared to sort of keep doing the same things over and over each year and, and doing some different elements of it each year. And so a structured approach could be that we fully recommend that boards consider doing both evaluations. And that means looking at themselves as a whole, but also as individuals building the director development plans in the first year. In the second year, look at the corporate governance things. And in the third year, the chair leads them through the board evaluation process. By then, everyone's got a lot more confidence and feeling really good about the processes. 
So I guess finally, what I'd just like to ask you, Brendan, have you got any sort of final comments or or tips that you'd like to give us? And then we might actually bring up some of the questions that people have been asking today. Yeah, so again, just a reflection from experience within the aged care industry is that the people and the governing bodies themselves are primarily comprised of people that have you know, done the role from a voluntary perspective, uh, a commitment to the purpose of the organisation or uh, the passion, the commitment to the cause, or if it's a small family run business, their name is on the logo at the front of the home or the home care service. And so they have often done it out of the goodness of their heart and there hasn't been too much investment back in them. And one of the reflections I've had in the last couple of years in working with Laser is that, and I can certainly see it from the regulator's perspective and their focus on governance is that one of the greatest impacts you can have on an organisation is spending a dollar at the board level. So an investment in your directors and investment in the governing body as a group will reap a good return on investment from what I have been able to glean from those who are running well and successful. They're investing in their governing bodies and their individual directors and they're seeing a return on that that's cascading throughout the whole organisation. And so I would suggest that for the industry, it's time to start investing at that top level at the board table. That's good, Brendan. Thank you. So we've got a couple of questions. And if you're ready, I'd like to ask you, I think this is a really good question. It's not uncommon in not-for-profits in particular for boards to be very uncomfortable with follow-through. Board members don't contribute, they behave inappropriately, or, or don't meet other performance measures. And discipline is not done well. In other words, those directors aren't sort of spoken to or things aren't done about it. What's your advice for how we can build capacity in this area? What, what are some of the things we can do to help make it a culture of those things aren't acceptable around here? Love to hear if you've got some ideas. Well, look, a challenging first question. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a good, but, it's, but it actually is a very yeah. true question. It's very yeah. real. And there aren't any easy questions when it comes to governance. No. Because uh, at the heart of what this question is answering is one of the reasons why I'm so excited and passionate about governance and it's something Fee and I have shared, is that you're dealing with uh, a group of people who are coming together and you're asking them to act in a collective interest. But human beings are generally, not always, their self-interest maximises is often how they're portrayed. So it can be a, a bit of a challenge when you are confronted with that situation where directors are not towing along with the line and they're not, shall we say, buying into the culture that the board is trying to set. So I think in that instance, there's obviously we were talking before about the benefits of having the independent perspective brought into it. So it's not, if you like, feeling like a personal attack from the other directors as an independent voice. And often, you know, in organisations I've worked in, in the public service, you hire consultants to say something that you've been trying to say yourselves, but it's a different voice saying the message and it's therefore it gets cut through. So I think that independence can help in delivering a difficult message to those particular directors. In terms of the behaviour and the cultures, I think the organisation I would hope has, you know, its values, it has a um, particular focus on the board agenda around culture setting within the organisation and amongst themselves at the board table. So there's probably a bit of time 
time to be spent in that particular area and led by the chair. So there's a great onus of responsibility on the chair to work through those processes. And I, I suppose lastly, it does bring to mind that there is possibly an opportunity for board renewal being presented in that situation. Mm. And that's in, the chair must exhaust avenues, if you like. Uh, and if those avenues are exhausted, then I think it's time for the courageous conversation around looking at board renewal. And Brendan, just to support you, another thing that I found is really helpful, which goes back to the having the right questions in your evaluation process, is that one of the things that's been really helpful is that that culture module in the Director Development and Skills Matrix and that there actually are questions around people's behaviour, people's understanding, people's understanding of self-reflection, self-awareness, your behavioural style, those sorts of things. And what that does is it kind of makes holding each other accountable, those sorts of things, legal at the board because if they are discussed in a questionnaire, if everyone has to answer those questions, if the results, be it de-identified, are up there in front of everyone, it does become a language that the board is more comfortable with using. So that I guess that's another reason why I'm such an advocate for not only whole board evaluation, but individual director evaluation as well. So that could be a safe way to help them come to the conclusion themselves by giving them information in a respectful manner that is not at the board table, that is delivered in a one-on-one -on -one conversation so that they can come to the conclusion themselves. Rather than a hostile, sort of perhaps antagonistic way. So that, that's a, certainly a benefit of uh, a different approach to that issue. Mm. And lastly, just quickly, there's another really good question about, and I'll answer this, Brendan, what are some examples of data collection and annual trends for boards? Well, just to help you, in 2019, um, about 100 boards were part of the Governance Evaluator benchmark. And some really good examples were that for the second year in a row, key stakeholder engagement was the number one issue that directors identified they didn't do well. Risk management, knowing what the top risks of the organisation were and getting good reports about those was number two. So there's some very good examples of data collection and annual trends. We might just quickly move on from questions now. We just want to thank you so much for coming and listening with us today. We have thoroughly enjoyed uh, talking to you about this incredibly important subject around how does evaluation help you to be assured of governance excellence. And Brendan and I would sincerely welcome anybody's follow-up questions if you want to email us or anything we would just be absolutely delighted and thank you brendan for coming and talking with us today and we are so excited about our collaboration together thank you fee it's been a great opportunity to share some insights about what i've been experiencing in my work with directors and senior management in the area of governance and certainly an area obviously of great focus for many at the moment and but one obviously where a lot of impact can be made for if you like a small investment compared to other areas that's absolutely lovely and thank you very much